This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So, Fabian, what are you most excited about uh, when you're thinking about your own future? Ooh, that's a massive question, but I would go with um, the move or the transition that I feel is going to go happen from individualism to collectivism. Okay, so sort of on a global level, you're answering this question. Yeah, yeah, I feel that with, there's a lot of the sort of movements right now with the climate, with people coming together, uh, and I hope that in the future we'll, we'll we will consider or start to move towards sort of like this one world scenario where we we have le- at least less nations and borders and and things to argue and, and fight about, and instead just come together as one species and also merge with nature and other species on the planet. I'm excited about that future as well. I hope we get there, and it also it's a good tangent to the topic of today's episode, which is the future of cancer care and how we're going to get there. With us today, we have Tara Donnelly from the NHSX. She's the Chief Digital Officer. Uh, The NHSX is the sort of the innovation arm of the NHS, which is the National Health Services in the UK. Uh, She has extensive uh, experience from working within that organization, but also working at a couple of other uh, charitable organizations, such as the Macmillan Cancer Support the Health CEOs Network, uh, etc. So, shall we get down to business? Let's get down to business. Welcome, Tara. Thanks very much. Nice to be here. How are you doing this 
beautiful day. Not too bad, thank you. How about you? Very good, thank you. We're happy to record this episode with you uh, here today. So, uh, just we just briefly introed everyone to a little bit of your background. So, can you tell us a little bit more about how did you get to where you are now as the Chief Digital Officer at the NHSX? Well, my story started... Um quite a long time ago. Before I went to university, I took a year off because I wanted to go traveling, see the world. And by chance, I ended up uh, with a lovely job in a hospital. I was a ward housekeeper. So it was essentially my job to look after patients, welcome them onto the ward, um, work with them to see what they'd like to eat, uh, bring them their lunch, do all the paperwork, uh, enter stuff on the computer, a job I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, and it really gave me the bug. And I've been in the NHS ever since. And that was 32 years ago. Wow. Yeah. And I've done a number of different things. Um, spent most of my career in operational roles in hospitals. So running departments, um, wards, uh, until I got a whole hospital to, to run. Um, and then more recently have really seen the power, the potential of the power of digital um, to really transform healthcare. And that's what's led me uh, to my current role, which is Chief Digital Officer at NHSX, where we seek to digitize, connect and transform health and care through technology. Fantastic. And you're also working with Macmillan Cancer Support, right? That's right. Yes, I had 10 very, very enjoyable years on the board of uh, Macmillan Cancer Support. So that's the leading charity uh, in the UK for people living with cancer. Um, And I was a trustee on the board, so helped with the strategic direction. And I I maintain a a strong link. Uh, I think it's, um, it's a fabulous charity. And of course, you know, medical technology has moved on that so many more people are living with cancer. It's, uh, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's um, the key part to get right in my mind. So, yeah, that was a terrific experience and a privilege. Now that you've uh, moved from uh, uh, into more of a broad role when it comes to healthcare, do you see a lot of similarities between uh, from the learnings you've made from working with Macmillan and, and other sort of the treatment areas or illnesses? Yes, and I think um, one of the things that really impressed me about Macmillan was how much the voice of people living with cancer were part of their work and really led the direction of the charity. And that kind of, um, the, the, the citizen empowerment aspect of digital health really appeals to me. Uh, so that, that I, I was deeply impressed at the way that that was part of, you know, really embedded as part of their work thinking about how you could use information that belongs to people to empower them in their own health decisions and make it, uh, you know, a more, uh, a sort of calmer, more predictable um, way of going. So Macmillan has, since I've uh, moved on, produced a really lovely organiser just to kind of keep information together on a cancer journey, which I think is critically important. But it was that real um, kind of trusting uh, citizens to really be the lead activists in their own health, supported, of course, by health professionals. Um, that, that really was the thing that, um, that I took most from my experience uh, with Macmillan Cancer Support. And with regards to today's topic, the future of cancer care and how we're actually going to get there, uh, we need to define a few things. So your current role is with the NHSX, but could you tell us more about the, the NHS role today in the UK? The NHS is is um, founded in 1948. is is the way that everybody across uh, the UK accesses healthcare. Um, so it's free at the point of delivery, uh, and it's based on um, need, not ability to pay. Um, so that in itself um, is a very, very kind of fundamental. It feels like quite a fundamental British right, really. 
so the NHS is um, in, the, the main way that people access it is through their local general practice. Um, and then those who need more specialist care will attend either hospitals or um, mental health organisations. But it's all part of a national NHS uh, family, if you like, uh, albeit that there's lots of local autonomy as to how organisations run themselves locally. Yeah. And for those listeners outside of the UK, uh, we should also mention that the NHS stands for National Health Services, right? Yes, absolutely it does, yeah. And and within NHSX, we also um, uh, consider social care as well because we're a joint unit between NHS England and the Department of Health and Social Care. Which is something that I really like. I think that's a very good thing to do, to bundle them together, because it's obviously important. And how does the NHS define health, since that's what you're working with? Um, so I don't, I, I don't know if the, there is a, uh, an NHS definition for health, but I think in increasing years, there's been um, a desire to become much more of a wellness service um, than a sickness service. Yeah. Uh, and I think we're starting to see that around um, long-term uh, condition management and of course for many people cancer becomes a long-term condition it's not an acute uh, you know just an acute illness um, and traditionally I mean the NHS is not different really from many health systems but we spend around 70% of our energy and resources in the management of long-term conditions uh, and often that's in the complication of disease rather than um, upfront giving people the tools that could help them stay well and I think we are seeing a bit of a sea change in approach um, the coronavirus outbreak has been absolutely horrific, um, but one of the few good things to come from it has been a real embracing of digital health solutions at an extremely rapid rate by both clinicians and citizens alike. And if we could build on that uh, and help make sure that we're only bringing people to healthcare organisations when it's absolutely necessary and giving them as much treatment at home as possible, I think that could really help us change this dynamic around how we how we really consider how we look after long-term conditions. Yeah, absolutely. And if we could make you step out of your role as working with the NHS and NHSX, how would you yourself define health? What is what is important when it comes to health for you as a person? So I think health um, is uh, is very closely equated to happiness. So it's being able to do the things that are most important to you and give you joy. I would say that's 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 what health is. I love that uh, description. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and at the NHSX, you say that you drive the digital transformation of care. And I mean, all different industries are talking about uh, a digital transformation. Could you let us in on a little bit more about what that actually means for a healthcare system? Yeah, and it's got, I mean, it's got a number of different aspects, but essentially it's, um, it's reimagining healthcare in the age of the internet. So Maybe 20 years ago, when we thought about digitization in hospitals, we'd have thought simply of um, big clinical systems. But now we have just such a wealth of tools, many of them developed by digital health innovators on a much smaller scale, that can make an enormous difference to how healthcare is delivered. So there are parts of our work that are about digitizing, so digitizing the record, enabling data to flow seamlessly between organizations, making that held by the citizen wherever they'd like to. There's connecting, so our work across social care and healthcare, um, really bringing those two together. So we're just uh, in the middle of a project to get uh, 
11,000 iPads uh, to care homes across the country, SIM enabled, to really connect health and care up as well as possible. And then the third element is transform, where we just look at a bit, a, a bit akin to the long-term condition management I was talking about, really doing things quite, quite differently because technology enables us to do that. Um, and sometimes the technologies are cutting edge, but more commonly, they're not that amazingly innovative. It's just that they haven't been applied systematically in health yet. So we have people who are, are very accomplished at using um, apps and technologies in all parts of their personal life, but they wouldn't necessarily expect to do that in healthcare. And I guess that's one of the challenges that our unit is trying to overcome to accelerate that adoption of tools that can improve productivity and experience and efficiency and make them really mainstream across healthcare. It is one of the biggest challenges, I think, in most healthcare systems to adopt innovation and change in that way. Why do you think that is such a big challenge? What, what, is the, what is the big barrier to entry we're talking about here? I think there are a number of, of factors that, that make it more difficult, um, but I don't think any of them can um, are, are not overcomable, uh, if you like, if that's even a word. A few years ago, I was asked to talk about, um, I think about three years ago, I was asked to talk on a panel about the barriers uh, to um take up of technology across the NHS. And I actually refused to do so because I thought, crikey, I could spend my whole life talking about barriers. And instead <laughs> what I did was uh, worked with a journalist and we interviewed 21 people who had had just as many barriers as everybody else. In fact, in some cases more, and yet had managed to put digital technology in. Uh, and um, there were eight themes to that report. I'll happily send you the link, but and I won't go through all of them. Yeah. But um, <laughs> you, know, you know, often it's um, even during tough times. The board was so. One of the examples was the London Ambulance Service, uh, and even though that organisation was going through special measures, it was uh, quite struggling financially. The board managed to lift its head above that to say that you know, technology was going to make a real difference for their operators and they would put uh, put tech in that would save staff time, would enable them to turn ambulances around more quickly. Um, so there are there are barriers. There are um, particularly in large bureaucracies that are not necessarily set up to make decisions really quickly. Uh, and I suppose one of the um, things that's been good about the COVID experience is, is we've seen a very accelerated decision-making process. We've seen a slightly different appetite to risk um, and we've seen people ready to try uh, things that their neighbours have been using. You know, I haven't heard not invented here at any time since the COVID response broke out because people are just keen to put in what works. So um, I think they are a number of things. I also think there are some really practical steps. So um, compared to when I was working as a ward housekeeper when I was 18 to today, hospitals are remarkably more busy places. There is a bit less bandwidth lying around for people to use uh, to, to help innovate. So I think adding bandwidth really matters, giving people what we'd call implementation support or change support on the ground um, so some work that we've just recently kicked off across the seven regions of England um, has all been about them uh, looking for what the remote monitoring priorities are in their area and bidding to us for implementation funding, which we've just given out just over £10 million for exactly that purpose. Um, so it's often not the tech that's the hard bit. It's working out how to get it into a pathway and what's going to work best locally. I'd love to come back to your description of... Uh what health is for you with when you said uh, health is happiness 
Um, let's let's do an example because I'd love to hear your reasoning around here. For someone, uh, happiness in a, in the role or, or context of being a patient might be having access to a nutritionist or having access to a career advisor or having access to uh, yoga exercise, for instance. Whilst for someone else, it might be being able to speak to a priest or a, having access to a mental health therapist. Uh, how 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 would you draw? Where do you draw the line? Uh, as in, where what is and the NHS responsibilities uh, end, and where do someone else's responsibilities begin? So, on the whole, uh, NHS responsibilities uh, are confined to direct clinical care. Um, so, there is an ex- there is a sort of expectation that there's a kind of contract with the public that you know we do our bit to keep ourselves as well as we can, and then the NHS uh, will help us with clinical issues. Having said that, there are there are areas where it's um, it's a little bit broader than that. So I don't know if you've heard of personal health budgets, but a number of people and, and the proportion is increasing um, receive a personal budget that they can select. Uh, how they would like to use it best. Oh. That might be um, somebody who wants to to do a yoga class might be an example, or it might be somebody who feels, uh, who has a disability and they feel that some technology would really help connect them to the outside world. Um, so that's a scheme that's increasing in size over recent years. Uh, and, and it is a kind of a, able to have a slightly more holistic viewpoint. Um, but on the whole, the NHS is for direct clinical uh, uh, costs. Um, so people might supplement that with, for example, if they have back pain, they might choose to go to a chiropractor and pay for that yeah. themselves. Um, but the, um, the Personalised Health Budget Initiative is a, is a really, really interesting one, which gives people much more autonomy on, on how they could... Um, how, how they could spend that budget that helps keep them as well as possible. Yeah, and, and this is interesting because to me, it feels like you're directly responsible for the physical health side of things, whilst sort of the mental health is not within your responsibility. No, 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 it's definitely both. So so the NHS is responsible for both physical and mental health, definitely. But it tends to be, what I'm saying more, is the direct clinical Care. So it might be the psychology, it might be, um, you know, an inpatient bed for somebody with psychosis, it might be an eating disorder service, but it wouldn't necessarily be other things in that person's life, um, apart from this personalised health budget idea, which does give people the opportunity to choose how resources are spent on them. And out of curiosity, that that personalised sort of healthcare budget that you as a patient are sort of able to spend... Uh, is this has this been rolled out? Yeah, so it's been going for a few years, but it, it's got um, it's got quite a lot bigger in recent years, and and it mimics a scheme in social care as well. So it enables people to sort of select their own wheelchair and so on. That is very nice. And uh, this might be a stupid question, so sorry for asking. But is ever do you think that everybody is aware of this personal budget? I'm not sure if everybody is. I think so. Local, um, we call them clinical commissioning groups. So local um, uh, organisations uh, are kind of responsible for highlighting it to people who are eligible for it, um, because they do tend to be people who are having continual health care, um, you know, on a long term basis. So they tend to be quite well known to their practices.
You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. You mentioned before that obviously COVID and Corona has affected the ways in which you work. From one viewpoint, it has enabled you to work faster and be faster in your decision making, which is absolutely fantastic from one perspective. But I would like to go into sort of more cancer specific. Uh, How has this whole situation affected cancer care in the UK today? So in in some good ways and in some bad ways. So... um... So we've seen a reduction in people coming forward who are concerned about new cancers. I think the kind of message about protect the NHS went out so loud and clear that people were actually quite anxious about coming to uh, healthcare premises. So that's one thing that we're quite worried about. Um, and trusts are doing, putting lots of energy into trying to see more people now that they've got a bit more capacity. Um, but we were able to do a number of, um, I think, really helpful uh, pieces of work around um, advancing uh, schemes for cancer and in, in particular uh, a big so last summer I'll re- rewind a little bit but last summer it was announced that we would host within an HSX a really major AI lab um, to particularly focus on technologies that were getting really interesting results in an R&D setting and try and accelerate their take up into a clinical setting um, and we've just recently announced the, the winners um, and uh, really substantial funding behind them. And a number of those are in the cancer arena. Um, one of them um, is called MIA. It uh, helps around mammography readings. And we've seen that the science on mammography readings has just been getting better and better. 
Um, this, we hope, will help uh, reduce any missed cancers and also speed up diagnosis for women who are worried. Uh, um, technology that helps the planning of radiotherapy. We know this is incredibly complicated, super labour intensive um, for clinicians to get absolutely right and really does seem to be an area that technology can help protect the healthy organs and make sure that the therapy is as focused as possible. Um, also one about uh, really optimising oncology pathways uh, to kind of automate them and make it really clear to the staff working in the hospital um, the right order in which to run tests and bring patients back. Um, so we, we've seen quite, uh, it's been very pleasing for me to see us able to give really practical to support to some of the best ideas in this space that could make a real difference for millions of people once scaled. Um, so that's uh, that's been that that's been really important for us. And 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 the um, the way the AI lab works is it will it sponsors some work which is very early stage. It works through four phases essentially, um, with the phase four being those that are now ready for for people to benefit. Um, so it's nice to see that it's developing the pipeline of solutions as well as um, moving those ones with the very strongest evidence behind them in, into mainstream clinic, clinical practice. Yeah, very interesting. And how does patient insights play a role in this? They um, so, so we have patient reps on the panels who are selecting the products. But what we also find with any of the good um, products, they, they wouldn't have got to that stage without a deep level of patient engagement. That's That really is one of the distinguishing factors um, between the, the solutions that endure and those that don't um so so yeah that's it's a really big part of uh, of the selection process is ensuring there's a patient view about all of this yeah and you mentioned before as well that uh, the people coming in to, to to sort of to get their diagnosis or uh, people are sort of um, limiting themselves to go to the hospital and eventually get a diagnosis during corona right mm, we've seen we've seen quite a bit of that yeah yeah, so, so how, how does, um, I mean, obviously for people that has been diagnosed, generally speaking, uh, there must be some sort of um, sense of being afraid to go into the hospital. So how has that affected something like remote monitoring, for example? So I think one of the, one of the most dramatic changes we've seen is, is the level of public acceptability of video consultations and phone calls, consultations compared to face-to-face. So I think when we surveyed people a year ago, um, everybody votes for you know seeing their doctor in person. It feels like that's the gold standard. Yeah. And all of a sudden, we're actually. I was talking to a GP colleague actually in the height of the pandemic, who said she'd done a whole morning of video and telephone calls, and it had worked absolutely brilliantly. But there were two patients she wanted to come in, and they actually refused to. They were worried about going to a you know a healthcare organisation. Now that's not good. Um, but it just shows you the sort of the, the massive change. Uh, suddenly people are selecting a video or a phone call above physically going uh, to, to a premises. Yeah. And the people we've been most worried about are not those who are on an existing um, cancer pathway, because obviously they're known to us. It's more people who may be at home with symptoms thinking, oh, the NHS is a bit busy, I won't bother them. Um, so there has been a public-facing campaign about health at home, encouraging people, you know, not to not to sit on symptoms and to come forward, uh, and you know, not to feel that, um, you know, that their problem is less important than than other people. But you know, the NHS is there for you at all times. 
And now I think we should uh, move towards uh, talking more about the future of cancer care. Mm. And I'd love to just ask, ask you straight up, uh, as a cancer patient or as a loved one, what, can I exp- what will I be able to expect in the future? How will it change versus how it is today? That's a, that is a big question. Um, but what I'd, what I'd hope is a number of things. Um, I'd hope that people who are on a cancer um, journey are able to do much more of that remotely. So, so to minimise the amount of time, you know, I've worked in hospitals for 27 years. They're amazing places if you are acutely unwell. And if you're not, they're not great for lots of reasons. So people, um, uh, you know, understandably want to, uh, uh, to have more care at home. Um, this move to more remote monitoring, I think, could be quite a game changer. We used it in COVID, particularly for managing people at home. And in fact, um, given that we've got a second wave going on in this country, we're expanding that further. Um, But those sorts of technologies are just terrific for ongoing patient monitoring and lots of evidence as well to show that it helps activate patients to see their results immediately, to track how they're doing. Um, All patients will spend many more uh, hours looking after themselves than they will with a clinician. So I'd love to see much, much more of that. Um, And also technology making it easier to actually have a dialogue with your clinical team. Um, And there's very little evidence that follow-ups work very effectively for anybody involved. I would really like to see that become a patient-initiated follow-up system so that uh, it wasn't based on a time sequence, but it was based on when I would like to have a conversation with somebody in my clinical team, either by video or by telephone or maybe in person. Um, I would also like to see some of these technologies that we're funding Uh, to help the clinical pathways with AI really become mainstream. Um, I'd like to see, you know, mammography. Wouldn't it be fantastic to have uh, AI reading every mammogram and then a clinician? Yeah. um, Because we know the accuracy is so much more and we can actually um, make sure that we are spending uh, clinical time with the people who really, really need that and getting results back to people much more rapidly. I'd like to see more services like the one down in Southampton where gentlemen uh, on a prostate cancer pathway uh, have a fantastic experience remotely and have actually uh, made a bit of a club up uh, and have gone from an experience of having to have an annual check where you wait a week to know what your PSA result is to having that on their device the same day Um, and uh, in working down there with a cancer charity uh, the um, patient satisfaction levels have gone through the roof um, with that service. So I like to see things like that much, much more commonplace. I love that. I'm very visionary. Let's hope uh, the future is uh, going to become that. And I haven't talked about peer support, mainly because I know that you've got that completely sorted. But it's, um, it, you know, that's a huge part of it. Well, I, and, and I'd love to just, and then you, you led me into the question here. Um, uh, besides the personal health bonus or personal health budget that you talked about, are there other ways that you envision you as NHS catering to those needs, uh, potentially through collaborations with other apps or what do you see is going to happen there in the future? Yeah, there may well be. I mean, there's, there's some very interesting work underway across London at the moment. It's called Good Thinking. And it's essentially making available evidence-based digital tools for people with low-level mental health issues, because you know we know that low-level can become um, more serious if left untapped. Um, and so that will look at things like um, depression, anxiety, low mood, and sleeping problems. 
um, and uh, a sort of consortium of organisations across London have funded it. It's available for any Londoner to access. And they've actually just expanded it quite markedly during the COVID period. Uh, so seeing more things like that, where it's... Um, uh, and it doesn't, you know, people don't have to have a formal diagnosis at all to, to access it. In fact, they don't even need to have gone via their general practitioner. They just need to think, do you know what, maybe my sleep isn't what it should be. I'm going to do something about it. Uh, and I think that's an amazingly innovative approach and seeing more of that. Um, mental health in particular is something that really does benefit through a digital means. We know that 50% of people with mental um, uh, illness don't tell anybody about it, never mind a clinician. So this is um, an ideally anonymized way of giving people support night and day. Uh, so I, I would love to see things like that uh, at greater scale and available to more people, um, really getting very, very good early results. And we'll be watching it very closely to see where they land over time. And, and maybe also uh, sort of like a collaboration between different departments within the healthcare. I mean, British Medical Journal came out with research showcasing that, uh, pointing towards that 20% of cancer patients are actually clinically depressed. Uh, so in essence, I mean, it, it would fall into the category of the NHS to also, like the, the oncology uh, departments of NHS to cater to the mental health uh, issues that many experience. No, absolutely. And in fact, this this particular, the good thinking thing is a consortium. It includes the mayor of London and lots of kind of non-health organisations because um, it's just seen as strong mental health is such an important part of a kind of vibrant city and, and looking after people. So you're absolutely right. And, and that's true of people living with any long-term condition, that the rates of, uh, you know, the, the, the mind is in the body. Yeah? So, so uh, it, it's incredibly important to support people's psychological well-being when they are facing um, physical health conditions and getting that mind-body uh, parity right. Yeah, um, I think is is something that, that many health systems are looking at trying to improve. So, Tara, you know that Warren Cancer stems from from Fabian's journey of being a cancer patient, and uh, we come across a lot of entrepreneurs out there that have been through cancer and have been through a difficult journey, and from that journey comes up with a solution or uh, the entrepreneurial spirit to to make a change. How do you cater for those innovators that can help you succeed in reaching your goals? Sure. So um, one of the great things that we have uh, across England now is a network of academic health science networks or AHSNs. Um, there's 15 of them covering the population of England. And they do a number of things, but essentially they speed up the adoption of evidence-based innovation across all categories, not just digital um, and they provide a service to innovators in their patch to um, give them feedback and support about what they're developing. And a number of them run digital accelerators. Uh, uh, and the digital accelerator for London, which I know most closely because I was involved in uh, help, helping set it up, uh, very much welcomed uh, patient innovators. Um, uh, a number of them, so for example, um, one of them was a gentleman who realised that um, wouldn't it be great to have a Bluetooth connection between your stoma bag and your phone to let you know when it was getting full so it would wake you up? Um, absolutely fabulous insight uh, by a gentleman called Michael Serres who, uh, who joined that accelerator programme. 
Similarly, we've had uh, a gentleman who's the father of two boys with type 1 diabetes who who watched them uh, try and kind of do the maths on their carbs and work out what to do. And it created a very beautiful, uh, amazingly sort of elegant uh, user interface to help uh, people track that. And that's called Momo Active. So um, what's great about the accelerators is they will welcome uh, patient entrepreneurs, clinician entrepreneurs, just general SMEs and startups um, and give them support. And in that case, it's a year-long program. It's very detailed uh, to give them the best opportunities for their product to scale across the NHS and, in fact, overseas as well. So it's a real, uh, I think that's a real um, sort of jewel in our crown. Uh, and we find at NHSX, we're often signposting people to their local AHSN for that sort of support and advice. Uh, and sort of practical help. That sounds like something War on Cancer should be a part of, and probably will in the future. Um, Tara, what what are you most excited about when it comes to sort of the near future? If we're talking about one year. What am I most excited about? I think I'm excited that um, for all the awful uh, aspects of this global health emergency, it's helped kickstart some long overdue work in digital health. Um, and levels of acceptance among clinicians and uh, citizens alike for um, us to really go further and faster with this. So I'm hoping that this will be a year of dramatic progress. I'm very excited about the regional scale plans, but I hope that that's just a springboard to really looking at some of our biggest long-term conditions and health issues and offering them in quite a different pathway in the future. That's what I'm excited about. I'm excited about that as well. And with that, Tara, we know you're extremely busy. So a big thank you for taking the time to share some of your insights uh, with our audience and with us, of course. Uh, We look forward to hopefully working together with NHS somewhere in the near future. And uh, yeah, thank you a lot for taking the time. Excellent. Thank you for having me and best of luck with uh, War on Cancer. Fantastic product. You're doing great things. Thank you very much. Thank you, Tara. Okay. Have a good day. Have a good day. Bye. Well, I really, I have to say that I really like Tara as a person and I I'm happy on a personal level that she leads the NHSX and leads the transforma- digital transformation of that healthcare system so important and, and yet so complex at the same time healthcare is so big it is a part of almost the, the DNA of, of a nation uh, it is everywhere it affects everybody and, and you know the, it, these are complex processes and to, to change healthcare one have to respect that it takes going to take a longer time uh, for that industry than others but I'm so happy to see that things are moving in the right direction totally agree we're going to follow up with Tara and hopefully we will have her on another episode in another season we should next episode we're going to speak with Olivia Banya do you want to introduce our next guest wow Uh, Olivia is a superstar she has just finished her cancer treatment so she is quite close to the whole experience. She's a TikToker. She's written about everything that she's gone through. And, and 
What fascinates me about her is that she's so mature yet so positive about the things that she's been through. And I am very happy to have her with us. Yeah, she's going to share a lot of insights. And one thing to mention, I mean, <laughs> you're a TikToker as soon as you download TikTok, right? So essentially, I'm a TikToker. But she's actually influencing and helping out 300,000 people. So one of the biggest TikTok influencers when it comes to cancer. So you'll meet her and we will meet her uh, next episode. See you then. See you. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 